Hello out there and welcome to the GameCocksGroup.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCocksGroup.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan and Perry, and we all write for GameCocksGroup.com. Um, so regular season is over for football, but this is kind of maybe even crazier time of year than uh, the regular season, at least as far as my workload this week, it's been a little bit crazier, um, especially when you start off the week uh, with the news that Marcus Satterfield is going to Nebraska, which we talked a lot about on Monday show. Definitely go check that out. Um, it's now Thursday, so we got a little bit more information on on maybe how the replacement search is going. Um, we got a lot of other stuff to get into as far as returning players, and who might be opting to uh, look at their NFL options. Um, the transfer portal is going to open on Monday. We already have at least one Gamecock in the transfer portal, probably some more to follow just as far as the numbers go. There's also uh, at least one current uh, transfer portal O-lineman from Rhode Island, uh, which we'll get to in just a second, that has an offer from South Carolina. Some more of those are going to go out next week. So it's kind of crazy right now. And then you just got normal recruiting. Um, the dead period ends on Friday, and coaches will be able to start traveling out and seeing some 2023 recruits as well. So crazy times. And basketball, which uh, is you know a bit of an up-and-down thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's start with the offensive coordinator search. Um and I can tell you that, you know, they're about to announce Dan Mo. No, I'm just kidding. Like, you, guys be- <laughs> you guys be careful uh, who you're listening to on Twitter. Um, you know, uh, would it be kind of cool to have Dan Mullen as the offensive coordinator for a year or whatever? Um, maybe. I mean, he's definitely a, a very good offensive mind, but uh, I find that highly, highly unlikely. And anyone that's trying to sell you on that probably doesn't know what they're talking about in my opinion yeah dude was a head coach for a long time in the sec i don't expect him to be an offensive coordinator and we're also hearing a lot of other names that are make a lot more sense which you know we're going to talk about in a second yeah i I don't know how great of a fit it would be i mean i would love to see mullen here as offense coordinator i mean they're not too many guys that are that you know better than him to be quite honest but um and he can have another coaching gig if he wants it. And I think he's just sitting back waiting for the right one. And sometimes it's kind of hard to take a step back and be an offense coordinator uh, for another coach, especially when uh, last time you played beat you. So he would really have to check his skill. And I'm sure he could, but I'm yeah, I mean, there's this is kind of the case with several of the targets that, that we've mentioned thus far, but none more so than Dan Mullen, who has, yeah, like you said, probably the best resume of, of everyone that we, we've heard. Um, but yeah, he's probably going to get a mid to upper level. I mean, not maybe not a power five job, but, um, you know, right outside of it, head coaching gig uh, if he wants it. And um, that's also potentially the case with like a Kendall Bryles who we have heard uh, his name pop up quite a bit. That's Arkansas's offensive coordinator. We talked about him on Monday. He was at the top of our first hot board. Um, He's definitely on the list. He's definitely a real candidate, but like we talked about on Monday, what happens if say this opening in FAU uh, comes calling for Kendall Bryles? Is that a better option for him if he has, um, a goal of, of being a power five head coach one time or, or someday. Is that a, is that a better 
route for him than just a sort of lateral move to South Carolina. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how that goes. Like I said on Monday, I don't think that money is going to be an issue uh, here. But if you're swinging for the fences here, some of those uh, big names are also being pursued for head coaching opportunities as well. Yeah, I think the money point too, just quickly, we're all expecting a Shane Beamer extension. I think we talked about that Monday. And usually what comes with that is a assistant coach pool money rise too. If if Beamer's getting a raise, you would expect the assistants to as well. And that means that that broadens your pool for an OC because he's probably you're probably gonna have more dough to spend on one. The, the other chance he had another strong recruiter on staff. Uh so that may play in. Of course, you want somebody to call the plays, but uh Sat wasn't necessarily known as the strongest recruiter on the staff. So he has a chance to kind of hit a home run in two different places here uh, if he hires hires the right person. Yeah, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I'm going to update the hop board later this afternoon on GameCockScoop.com, but it's not terribly uh, different than what it was on Monday. The, the biggest change as far as names that you might recognize is I'm going to add Graham Harrell who is the offensive coordinator at West Virginia right now. He's worked under Neil Brown, worked under Mike Leach, that whole air raid style. Um, something that when you hear that Im immediately, uh, you might think that's not necessarily a good fit, um, but they actually outrushed South Carolina this year, West Virginia did. Um, so even though it is an air raid, it's not like that he had no semblance of a run game whatsoever. Um, so that's kind of an interesting name. Um, we talked about Johnson. What's his first name? He's got a very generic name, Joe Johnson. Uh, uh, the the guy that's the offensive coordinator for the, I mean, he's the quarterback coach for the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Um, he's a former uh, offensive coordinator for Florida underneath Dan Mullen. So maybe there is a little bit of Brian Johnson, there. by the way, Brian Johnson. Yeah, there you go. Like I said, kind of a generic name. Sorry, Brian Johnson, if it ends up being you. Um so, yeah, uh, we, we've heard that the list that uh, Coach Beamer is looking at is as long as like 15 names right now and that he hasn't necessarily gotten into the depth of the interviews yet. I mean, there's definitely been some conversations that, you know, uh, there's moves happening, um, but I don't know that we're like near the finish line or anything on this yet. The one thing about the styles, I wouldn't worry too much about that regard you know as far as air raid or pro offense or anything else because even in the air raid it kind of gets bad rap it's not running the ball it's not true they they just spread the ball around more so than more traditional offenses so the running game's still there um, but i do expect that uh, whoever the hire is there's going to be some carryover element to what is already in place because we'd be silly not to and then just adding incorporating in other elements to take advantage of the roster we have that's what I would suspect uh, Beamer is looking for and would probably be the best course of action. So something that was kind of interesting when I talked to Dante Reno the other day, which you can find that full interview on GameCockScoop.com right now. Um, that's the 2024 quarterback commit, maybe 2023. He's, he's still thinking the potential of three classifications on the table, which you can read more about there. But um, anyway, uh, he was saying when he talked to Coach Beamer after – Satterfield left that um, Coach Beamer isn't necessarily locked into a pro style system again, um, but that he's more like you just said, thinking about the personnel, thinking about the personnel that might be returning, which we'll talk about here in just a second, 
um, and trying to find the best fit for that, which I, I mean, I, that's what, what you should do. I mean, that's, that's probably his best path. Yeah. The only other thing with that though, and I think you bring up the point with the returners is all right. I think you kind of knew going into this year, what you wanted it to look like. And it ended up not so much looking like that kind of ironically, but you wanted to throw the ball. You wanted to spread it out. You brought in Rattler, these two transfer portal receivers, um, a tight end of the portal. You wanted that to be the identity. It ended up kind of being more Marshawn Lloyd, at least till the last two games. But what do you want this to look like next year? What can it look like? Because you don't know what you have coming back next year. I know we're going to talk about that. And when you're trying to sell your program, sell your offense to an offensive coordinator, well, you don't really know what you have right now. So that kind of, in some ways, it opens up more possibilities because you can do some different things. You're not boxed in by any group personnel, but also you kind of, I don't know. It makes it interesting when you don't really know what you have next year, what you kind of want your offense to look like, and you're trying to hire someone to run that offense. Yeah, I mean, I tend to always be a fan of like a power spread sort of deal, which is why I do like uh, Kendall Bryles, who had some success running the ball. I mean, it helps when you have... um, What's that guy's name? He's AJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders. Right, Rocket Sanders. Uh, but I mean, South Carolina potentially has Marshawn Lloyd coming back. Um, I guess let's go ahead and get into it a little bit. So there's a bunch of names on both sides of the ball that are draft eligible um, and that you know have some some decisions to make. So obviously, number one name you're thinking of there is Spencer Rattler, but you also have Marshawn Lloyd, Juice Wells, Jaheim Bell, Austin Stogner. Um, Am I missing anybody obvious there? I think that that's that's the main names. Um, And from what we've heard now, there's still a lot of decisions to be made. Everyone's going to go get their draft grade, which, of course, could change people's opinions. Um, Sometimes the draft grade doesn't necessarily match up with the production on the field. So, you know, if Spencer Rattler gets a second or third round grade, um, maybe he goes ahead and jumps on it. Uh, even though maybe he could elevate to a first or whatever. But we're hearing positive signs on offense of uh, what the returners could look like and that maybe more of that group than not could be back next year. And we've also kind of heard that that's what Shane Beamer has been doing this week. So uh, he's been having these one-on-one meetings with the players and um, trying to get a sense as the portal opens up, as you're looking for an offensive coordinator, um, what – he is going to have coming back there. And like I said, at least early returns before uh, everything, uh, you know, plays itself out has been pretty positive in that regard. So let's say you have most of those guys back. How would you want to build an offense, which offensive coordinator that we've talked about thus far, maybe fits that the best. Yeah. I think when uh, you talked about the power spread, I think Luke Doty would be a perfect fit for that. Uh, I think he would really, take advantage of everything that he brings. Uh, not that Rattler couldn't do well with that. And, and kind of switching gears back to the the draftable part of that, whether Rattler stays or goes, I feel like whenever he does decide to go, he's going to, when he gets to the combine, kind of shoot up some draft boards because he, he can make every throw. And he's really going to make some wild throws out there that's going to turn some heads and, uh, and really help himself. Now, I don't know if that's going to be this year or next year, but – uh, I think when that time does come, he'll be able to move himself up uh, some spots there. Yeah, I'm – again, this is an I feel, not an I know. We're not saying he's gone. I expect Spencer Rattler to go. I just kind of feel like 
the combination of these last two games, maybe you throw in a high profile bowl game. This is a murky quarterback class after obviously Bryce Young and CJ Stroud at the top. Like I think there might be an opportunity for him to shoot up at a combine. Like you said, I, I expect him to, to be in the NFL next year. I think that was kind of always the plan, the one year deal. Um, but, and I do think it's, if that's what happens, I think, yeah, you probably expect it to be Luke Doty's year next year. Right. Um, if the strides he's made is what we've heard from the staff. We've heard that since August, really. Um, he's played. He, he, they were careful about not burning his red shirt. That's kind of another maybe indicator. Uh, we heard that after the Florida game where they didn't want to put him in. So, yeah, I would I would lean towards thinking this is Luke Doty's team next year if Rattler isn't here. But, again, Rattler still could be. Yeah, I, I think it's yeah. probably out there. I mean, it's <laughs> there's so there's a lot of talent on this offense. There's never any doubt about that. So, yeah. <laughs> We had to wait and see who comes back, who goes. And I think the bowl game will give us a pretty big indication because if we got guys sitting out the bowl game, you're pretty much counting that they're gone. So, Yeah, definitely. And and speaking of that quarterback room, I mean, we saw Tanner Bailey be the third quarterback on the depth chart uh, for the last several games. Um, so he made some strides throughout the season and kind of passed up Colton Gothier. Um, could someone out of that quarterback room – Maybe, maybe it is Gothier. I mean, I don't want, I'm not speaking from a place of knowledge and I don't want to uh, suggest something that he hasn't decided or, or whatever, but uh, you would think that there's going to be some turnover uh, in some places where um, potentially some people feel a little bit buried uh, on that depth start. But, um, and then, yeah, you have, you have Reno coming in. Um, I have seen, he didn't tell me this directly, but I have seen this elsewhere that um, some of his reclassification decision might hinge on uh, whether or not Rattler comes back. So I, I don't think, I don't think quarterbacks a concern, but all of those are still at least right now in their current iteration, a, a step down from Spencer Rattler, I would say. Yeah. I don't want to speculate who's going to leave, but you're right. I mean, it's the nature of the beast. Chances are we're going to leave, lose at least one quarterback in that room. Um, just by the way that transfer portal set up now and quarterback, you can only have one on the field. So, and all those guys want to play. They're all, you know, had phenomenal high school years. Uh, so they're they're not here to sit. That you know, clearly they'll wait their turn and develop if if they know their turn's coming shortly. But just the way the whole landscape is, it, likely we're going to lose one or two over in the portal. Um, but anyway, back to that that the question that I was I, I did pose to you guys a second ago. Assume whether it's Rattler, whether it's Doty, assuming we get most of uh, the offense back, most of the skill positions on the offense back, most of the key contributors from this year, um, who do you think on the list right now best fits that uh, personnel group? You know, it's uh, it's kind of a tough. I I still feel like. Brian Johnson, it's hard. It's that's a really tough, like maybe sell's not the right word, but he's obviously in the middle of a run right now in the NFL. I mean, hell, the Eagles might be going to a Super Bowl. Like, I don't know if you break him off in the middle of that, but I feel like his development with quarterbacks, and maybe specifically you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts and what he's done with him this year and kind of the spread they're running there. I feel like Brian Johnson might be the best move at this point, but I can also understand why you'd want someone with more college experience if you're trying to go the recruiter route like perry said um that's kind of from an offense perspective kind of where my head's leaning right now but it's very early 
Yeah, recruiting's a big part of yeah. it. If we're looking at NFL, some of those guys don't want to come back to college yet. So they, they want to see how far they can go in the NFL, and they don't want to deal with the whole recruiting grind. Um, and especially now with the portal, I mean, you're always recruiting. So uh, I think a lot of that's going to be a, a two-way street there. But the great thing is, I mean, Beamer <laughs> isn't at a lack of candidates to, to pull from this go-round. So it'll be interesting to see, like, how, how things shake out here in the next couple of weeks. And, and I, on top of that, he doesn't have to make a move until after the bowl game. He can sit on this for quite a while before it's really necessary for him to pull – I don't want to say no, make the move. Um, so he, he's got some time. Yeah. I mean, especially if you have most of those guys returning, um, because then you think about the 2023 recruiting class, um, which will sign a lot of which line uh, before the bowl game around December 21st, um, which is when that early window opens. Um, not a ton of, like offensive guys that committed to Satterfield um, in that, in that class. Um, and then Reno who did commit to Satterfield has already kind of reestablished his commitment to Beamer into the program. Um, the only thing that I think you miss out on potentially by not naming an offensive coordinator between now and the bowl game is this transfer portal window. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is somebody like a Theo Weiss, who uh, just the wide receiver from Oklahoma who just entered the transfer portal if there's someone like that that you want to target and try to bring in is that a little bit more difficult if you don't have a plan in place yet um, for what the offense is going to look like yeah and we're going to hear from Shane Beamer Sunday just by the way he's going to talk um, after the bowl announcement so maybe we'll get a little more clarity on how the process is going on who's going to call plays in the bowl game Um, I think you and I Caleb we've kind of speculated that might be a Freddie Kitchens game Um, but we're going to hear more from Shane on Sunday on that yeah, and we'll have updates on that. Um, as far as other speculation around returning players, NFL draft eligible players, that sort of thing, on the defensive side of the ball, there's really three names that that stand out um, in that in the conversation. So you have Cam Smith, who's likely to be a first round pick. Kind of likely, he's done. I mean, um, he he said he said as much in his post game uh, before senior week um, that most likely he'd be out. Um, you have Zach Pickens, who uh, could technically come back for one more year, but has probably done enough to give him a solid draft grade. Um, and then you have uh, Darius Rush, who's probably another mid-round sort of guy. We don't know yet, I mean, how that's going to play out. I mean, it's pretty easy at this point, I think, to, to assume that Cam Smith isn't going to be back and also may not play in the bowl game, but we don't have any confirmation on that. Um, and then the other two, maybe it somewhat depends on their draft grade. You also have Jordan Birch, who, you know, former five-star, had a pretty solid year. I personally think he could benefit from coming back for one more year. Um, but, you know, maybe his draft grade says otherwise, and he's good to go now. Yeah. I, the one thing, I, uh, <laughs> um, and I'm sure we're going to touch on the bowl matchups, but it, it, if we potentially lose – Cam Smith and Darius Rush to the draft. Uh, the one team I don't want to face is Purdue um, because that's we start shaking things around in that back end. We can't go so much man like we did against Tennessee and Clemson. Um, so I think you you start looking at different combinations, and we're gonna have a lot of fresh bodies back there with not a lot of experience um, if those guys do decide to move on. Uh, 
So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in this, but just kind of thinking about what the bowl matchup could look like if, if some of those guys are leaving. Uh, might not be the same Carolina team we've seen the past two weeks. Yeah, and then Purdue, you're basically, we're talking offense, you're talking an air raid at that point with Aiden O'Connell and all of that. So that, I do think that's probably a good point there. Um, we'll get into the matchups in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, at this point, the only thing I would feel like, I, again, I'm not reporting, I feel like I would say with 99.9% certainty is Cam Smith won't play in the bowl game. Um, he's, he's a first-round pick, and he played well enough this year. To, we knew that going in, and he backed it up, and there's just no reason for him to play. Um I think Pickens could benefit from playing, especially if it ends up being one of the higher profile like matchups. Um, that's kind of where I kind of feel the same about Rush too, especially if Cam Smith doesn't play and he's cornerback one for an afternoon. Yeah. Um, but again, we'll find that out in the coming weeks and maybe we'll get more clarity after we know the matchup on Sunday. I mean, I think Darius Rush benefited throughout the year of playing opposite Cam Smith because a lot of teams tested him and he got to put a lot on tape of – you know, being a pretty shutdown corner in those uh, situations, which um, he had a great year. Really. Yeah, he had a great year. You, you think about that that DB room next year. I mean, the safeties you feel in a much better spot <laughs> heading into next year than you did this year after what Deke Smith and Nick Amemori showed. Um, but you might be a little bit more afraid at corner next year. Um, I thought Marcel Marcellus Dial finished the season very strong. We actually should have a interview with Marcella Stout coming up in the next couple of weeks on GameCocksGroup.com. Pauline's going to do that. I uh, just got confirmation on that today, so that's that's exciting. Um, so I thought he played really well the last few weeks. Um, I thought Donald Fortune had a decent game against Clemson, um, but other than that, you have a bunch of guys that really haven't spent a ton of time on the field. You have a pretty solid recruiting class coming in, um, but most of those guys are kind of hybrid. You don't know which ones are going to – uh, project as corners and which ones are going to project as safeties. So um, it's going to be interesting. Maybe that's something that they target in the portal corner. I think they'll probably definitely target linebacker in the pool, which um, there's already a couple of names to look at on that front. Uh, the number one, according to rivals, the number one transfer portal player thus far that has entered is um, Sam McCall, who's, a DB, but also can kind of play a little bit of that hybrid role. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. The only official offer to a portal player thus far, by the way, just why I'm on that, is a Johnny Cornelius, who is a offensive lineman uh, out of Rhode Island, um, and he just entered the portal. And he's 6'5", 310. He's a sophomore, got a couple years of eligibility left. So that'd be a good pickup. And the only portal player from South Carolina that's left thus far other than rj rick who did that midseason is offensive line lineman jordan davis um who announced that yesterday but again we'll see a lot more in the coming days and all that and then the official the portal officially opens uh on monday and it's gonna be <laughs> uh insane wow. day so that one thing we should let our, our uh, listeners know the for the FCS players they can enter and receive offers right now so it's open for them but for FBS right. Uh, they can declare entry, but it doesn't officially open until the 5th. So uh, nobody's going to be posting the offers they've received from the FBS because that would be a violation. Uh, but I <laughs> expect there's plenty of back alley talk going on right now, and we're going to see a whole bunch of commitments the day that portal opens. Definitely. And if you have a premium Gamecock scoop 
uh, subscription, you also have access to the new Rivals portal. So portal.rivals.com. Um, there's a full-time writer over there that's focusing on on the portal portal now. Uh, they're doing por- transfer portal rankings this year for the first time. Um, there's tons of great resources over there. The, it, it, he, I feel bad for him this week because it's probably been a crazy week for him too. Um, I see stuff updated all the time, but uh, yeah. So that's that's gonna be interesting, and also um, it'll be interesting because South Carolina did really well in the portal last year, but that didn't necessarily reflect in their rivals recruiting ranking. Well, well, this year it will. So um, we'll see how how that all plays out as we go forward. I feel like we were talking about something. All right, returning players. So anyway, um, on defense, I think if you can fill some gaps uh, at linebacker, if you only uh, lose Zach Pickens on the defensive line, and then you can figure out or, or continue to have people step up in the secondary, which if I trust anybody to develop players, Torian Gray is at the top of that list on the staff. Um, then I think, you know, maybe you're reloading a little bit more than, than rebuilding uh, and, and maybe a lot more than we thought heading into the year with the way that B Huntley and um, Tonka Hemingway and TJ Sanders all kind of stepped up on that D line. The, the other one is a uh, defense man. We really, got lucky um, after that first wave of injuries uh, and because Birch and Edmund played just about every snap almost every game from there on out. Um, Tyreek Johnson saw a little bit of time uh, but there at the end of the season we were moving Tonka Hemingway out at defensive end to spell Birch and Edmund. So that's a we're, we're thin there. Plenty of talent but we're thin so some, something that will need to be addressed and I thought maybe this year would be Tyreek Johnson's year to step up and do something uh, didn't quite happen. Maybe, maybe next year is that year for him. Yeah. I don't know if the staff's ready for Tyree Johnson for maybe a Brian Thomas jr. Or whatever. I don't know if they're ready to have those guys playing 50, 60 snaps a game yet. Right. So I think that actually you're, you're, you're going to have to portal at some point there. I mean, it, it's really thin there. Obviously, you know, Jordan strong got hurt in week two. Terrell Dawkins spent most of the year um, injured, but I think you're still going to have to get at least one body in there through the portal. Yeah, unfortunately, that's one of the toughest uh, positions to find in the portal um, because I don't know. Generally, if your your lead edge edge rushers are wrecking havoc somewhere, and then they go to the NFL pretty quickly, um, off, so it, it, it is line. tough to find. Yeah, offensive line stuff too. Line. Those are the two toughest spots because, like, like you said, if they're good enough, they're going to the NFL, so they're not. Most of those the better ones aren't looking to transfer right now. Um, so you got to kind of find some diamond in the roughs there. Definitely. Um, and it, you, you could potentially see Jordan Strayan come back, which I think would really go a long way in helping you out and also helping his potential draft stock out um, next year. Yeah. Um, we'll have tons more on the portal as it continues to open up on GameCockScoop.com. We have a dedicated thread to potential targets for South Carolina on the insiders forum and a dedicated thread to um, those entering the portal from South Carolina. So definitely check that out Uh, in the general recruiting world. um, Nothing, nothing too crazy is happening right now, but we've started to get some reaction from the last two games. Um, Maybe the most interesting uh, to talk about is hearing from Dante Reno and hearing from others that uh, Mazio Bennett definitely uh, had some positive reaction and um, he's looking 
to see who they bring on at offensive coordinator. One of the things we talked about when he committed to Tennessee was that he was sort of enamored with the idea of playing in that offense. So if you bring on a similar style, um, bring on a name that has a proven track record, um, you know, putting up a prolific offense, then that one gets a little bit more interesting and you got, you still got plenty of time before the 2024 class really locks it in. So um, I'll have a weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow with some more stuff, mostly kind of previewing this crazy week coming up with the portal. But um, that's, that's one little tidbit there. All right. As far as the bowl games go, um, we kind of have heard the three Florida bowls at the very top. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple others, but I think it's going to be one of the Florida Bowls. So you have the Citrus Bowl, who seems like is basically choosing between LSU and South Carolina. And then you have the Relia Quest, which is the old Outback Bowl in Tampa. And you have the Gator Bowl. And then primarily the the opponents I've seen are either Illinois, Purdue, or Notre Dame. Um, any of those stand out to you as games you'd like the matchups you like you like i know one stands out to perry (laughs) (laughs) what's that this my answer is probably gonna surprise you i would actually rather see notre dame uh because i think that's more beneficial than us notre dame's always a media darling so i would love to get them and and beat them pretty handily that's the best possible outcome to me i mean but from a just a personal perspective yeah i would love to match up with illinois but I don't think the rest of our fan base would be that excited about an Illinois matchup. Um, and I can feel pretty confident saying there's very few fans that will be excited about a Purdue matchup. There's just not much about Purdue football that excites people outside of Indiana. So, yeah. They don't even have one of those like Rondell Moore guys this year either. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they don't have an NFL receiver this year. No, they're, they're, um, they're very well coached, but yeah, they're playing this weekend, playing for conference championship. Um, I was about to say that would be the only like uh, headline there is that you you beat what is presumably the runner up to the Big Ten championship. Um, then that that feels like it means a little bit of something. But also, I mean those those divisions are so skewed. Uh, I'm I'm with Perry here. I think you want Notre Dame. I think if you actually ended up with Notre Dame, that would probably mean the Gator Bowl because that's um, I've heard I've seen ReliaQuest thrown out. They have to move some stuff around. That's an SEC Big Ten. The Gator Bowl is an ACC-SEC tie. Columbia is obviously about four hours from Jacksonville. You would have, there's Notre Dame fans everywhere. You'd have probably one of the only like non-New Year's Six Bowls that was close to a sellout probably if you're playing Notre Dame. That'd be a big game. It would feel like a big game. It would be a huge opportunity for the program. Yeah, I think if you just want what's best for South Carolina, and we can talk about whether that means actually winning the game or not, but in terms of a stage and a profile, you want Notre Dame. That's what you want this to be. I think it somewhat depends on the actual prestige between the Gator Bowl and the Relia Quest. Like, is there a, a financial benefit for one or the other, um, you know, whatever? Because pecking order-wise, I have heard that if South Carolina gets passed over for the Citrus Bowl, um, and I think the Relia Quest is, is next in line ahead of the Gator Bowl, um, that one of the concessions i guess of um that they're trying to work out with the office the, the league office is that um you do do the rely quest but then you some things around to get notre dame in there but again i don't know how much that matters like if there's not a huge difference maybe south carolina just says uh, let's do the gator and play notre dame there but um just give us another name yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I either to way, Tampa right? and i don't even get a blooming onion out of it i'm gonna be disappointed <laughs> i can't believe they changed the 
that was definitely always the best part. Um, so that's that's too bad. But uh, yeah, I mean, I do think the citrus is still on the table. Of maybe if LSU gets blown out by like 40, 50 points. And uh, I, I have read that the citrus doesn't necessarily have to take the higher ranked team, but they have to be within a certain amount of spots of each other or something. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out, which we'll know on Sunday. And then, like you said, uh, Shane Beamer is set to talk at 5 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Um, and we'll have live updates on game guys for that. And you know, all the reaction that comes around the, the bowl selection. Yeah. The only other thing I would, I would kind of say regarding bowl is, um, the citrus bowl is like you mentioned, they do have the first pick out after the new year six, but you know, if it's between nine and four LSU coming off two losses, who might be, I don't want to say disinterested or, but their fans aren't as up for it or an eight and four South Carolina, who's on a two game winning streak, who the fans are going to travel like maybe South Carolina is more attractive to Citrus Bowl if both teams have four losses, but we got to see what happens. Um, or if LSU somehow beats Georgia and they get an automatic New Year's six as SEC winners, that would probably put South Carolina right there for the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, South Carolina traditionally, I mean, LSU travels pretty well too, but South Carolina traditionally travels very well for bowl games, especially you would think as it feels like there's some upward momentum happening. Um, there's maybe been a few years where you had a disappointing six and six that the fans didn't travel as well. But generally, if there's some positive uh, vibes, which there definitely are right now, uh, the the fan base has traveled very well. If you want to go to Orlando, you need LSU to win or lose by 50. No in between. That's what you're rooting for Saturday. I mean, we're, we're not a hard sell. South Carolina is one of the hottest teams in the nation. I mean, we're all over ESPN right now, you know, so like it. I know we don't say that the four-letter network much, but it's true. A lot of people visit that, and, I mean, South Carolina's got it rolling right now all over Twitter, so you would think any of these bowls would be excited to have us. Yeah, I, I think so. So, um, And the the last two weeks, we haven't talked a ton about this, but South Carolina's media team is incredible um, and always has been. But – you know, it's they've got a lot to work with right now, um, and they're taking advantage of it. And um, you know, this is this was really the last two weeks were the perfect storm for trying to build momentum heading into the off season in recruiting, um, in this offensive coordinator search, and and everything else. It's it's kind of fallen into place in a way that I don't remember happening very often for South Carolina athletics throughout my lifetime. Yep. Um, all right. The last note, we were going to talk a little basketball. So the women's team, um, we, we talked on Monday that Aliyah Boston got banged up and we weren't sure if she was going to play against UCLA. Well, she did, um, although a little bit more limited maybe than uh, previously. I, you know, Apparently she in. wasn't sure she was going to play until right before the game. She said she didn't decide till after she went through shoot around. So that really was a game time decision based on what we've heard from Dawn Staley and Aliyah Boston herself. Um, and they needed her. That was a very tough UCLA team who came in here, top 15 team, and they led for more than 20 minutes. But South Carolina, as they do, they just found a way to win. Yeah, so I, I actually didn't get to catch a ton of that one. So you, you guys might be able to speak a little better to it. Um, but they, you know, I read, read the after or whatever. But um, Kara Fletcher had a had a nice game. Um I, I don't know. So, well, that kind of what kind of happened there. Tell is me more kind of about the game. The way to 
I think what we've what we're we kind of knew this from last year too, but the way to kind of do this against South Carolina is it's not a great three point shooting team. We've heard Don Saley talk about that. It's not a great perimeter shooting team in general. Um, and you zone them up, you pack the paint, you try to make them shoot, and that was working for UCLA. South Carolina actually was one of fourteen from three point range in this game, and they were two of thirteen on jump shots. Period in the first half, going to the half, they're only down four at the half. They trail by as many as ten. Um, Dawn Staley kind of changes things up. Her point guard battle has been almost right down the middle this year. I have a, I have a stat on it, but Raven Johnson's played hundred minutes. Kier Fletcher's played 99. Dawn is splitting that right down the pipe, but Fletcher played almost the entire second half. She hit three in a row and four out of five jump shots at one point, all mid range. Um, UCLA has to get out of their zone a little bit. They have to man her up a little bit. Camilla Cardoso, Leah Boston work inside. I kind of thought Fletcher changed that game and she provides something this team just doesn't have elsewhere with outside shooting. Um, I think that's something to watch for. They're about to hit a non-con stretch of five very straightforward games before SEC play starts. So you're not going to see them tested again, maybe till the end of the month or January, but or at least you shouldn't. But I thought that was a good thing for this team long-term that they had to find a different way to win than they did on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean that was a big addition in the in the portal this offseason uh to kind of try to shore up uh and replace, which it's pretty tough to replace. Um Destiny Henderson. Destiny Henderson. Sorry. Uh basketball is not my strong suit. I do watch it. I watched the the tournament and stuff last year, but obviously I don't I don't cover that on a nightly basis like you do. Um so yeah, uh you can't replace that necessarily, but Seems like that was that was a big move and um, a missing piece that they're really going to need down the stretch. They won't be tested again for for a minute, I don't think. But next time, yeah, they are. they're um, yeah, they got five non cons left. Four of them are at home. All of them are games you'd expect them to win in blowouts. But I'll be there. I'll have coverage on GameCockScoop.com as this team continues to develop and try to round out some of its holes, especially with the shooting going into SEC play, which starts about the same time as the bowl game is going to be. I think it's December 29th is their first SEC game. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I probably should have opted to watch the the women's game this week instead of the game that I did watch last night. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) um, Yeah, I covered remotely. I covered uh, South Carolina versus George Washington last night in DC. That's game one of a two-game home stretch in DC. They're going to take on uh, George Mason. Yes, Georgetown. 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 Saturday at noon. So many, so many Georges. Georgetown uh, Saturday at noon. But uh, yeah, that was rough last night. Um, so South Carolina is down by twenty at the halftime. At halftime, then by as many as thirty-five in the second half. Um, Gigi Jackson finally had his first struggle game he was one of 10 in the first half um something that the broadcast showed and and kind of mentioned was at halftime he came out before the rest of the players and just shot around a little bit to try to like shake it off which he had a slightly better second half i think he was three of seven or so in the second half um yeah i mean he 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 struggled a bit and and they didn't really south carolina didn't really have a offensive answer once he started struggling um chico carter made a couple threes uh, they couldn't make anything around the rim and defensively they continue to give up easy shots. Um, I don't, I don't know where the defense that played in against Clemson went cause it hasn't been back. Uh, well, I, I mean, looking defensively, we can't stay in front of anybody. Um, it, Clemson doesn't have a guard as quick as uh Bishop. 
Um, and he, Bishop, just <laughs> did whatever he wanted to to us last night. And that was the same issue last year's team had until uh, Coach Frank put Reese on the basically the quickest person or the best player of the other team, and that kind of stamped that out. But if you look back at the Coastal Carolina game, same thing. Um, but we switching back to this year and last night, uh, we really struggle guarding the perimeter and that puts way too much stress on our bigs. They, they get out of position trying to over help. And then it just opens everything up for the offense. And, and that until we figure out a way to slow down the guards penetrating into the paint, we're, we're going to be up a Creek, um, offensively, the game plan was right. Attack the inside. That needs to be what we focus on every game. But we missed at least 10 shots right around the rim. I mean, that's that's 20 points we left out there, just missing those short shots. Uh, I, and Al and I talked last week. Yeah, I really like the ball. I, I like him a lot. Uh, he's got a wide skill set. If he had some guys that were a little higher productive around him, I think he would really excel. But he missed, like, I don't know, four or five right there, easy ones around the basket. He had his guy pinned several times and couldn't convert. Uh, Gray came in, had had the guy pinned a couple times, missed. I mean, uh, uh, Brown does an excellent job of getting it on the perimeter, driving the lane, getting matched up against a smaller guy, and he was missing them. And then it just it looked like a young team defensively. When, when you're not scoring offensively, the energy level on defense drops, and that thing – got out of hand in a hurry and that's exactly what we saw and George Washington's not a great team I mean they're they're probably above average they're probably better than the preseason rating but they have a bunch of transfers on that team uh, the majority of that team is from the transfer portal and uh you know we're kind of in the same boat and we just two different teams out there um and when Gigi's I Gigi's gonna have to carry this team uh if he can't do it then I'm afraid we don't have much chance at success uh from here on out, uh, he just had a bad game. Can't fault him. Everybody's going to have a bad game. But we'll need to continue to, to pound the inside, have Gigi carry us, and that's going to be the key to success. But uh, defensively, like I, said, I don't I don't know. I don't think we have somebody that can slow down the quicker guards. Uh, and that really is a concern once we hit SEC play. Now, we have Georgetown up next and Presbyterian. Neither one of them are great. So we have a chance to bounce back, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I actually wanted to – you mentioned the energy there. I don't know if either of you guys saw this, but um, this is from Michael Anana, who I believe is the only reporter on this trip from the state. Uh, Lamont Paris told me he was disappointed in the lack of competitive spirit tonight. Quote, we got our butts kicked. We got some guys that have to learn how to compete, honestly, and that's me being real. We've got a couple of guys that just don't compete at a very high level, close quote. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that's Lamont last night after the game. I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. That's the first time I felt like I've seen them quit a little bit. Um, I mean, they made a little bit of a run to end the game when the pressure was completely off and they started to knock down a couple threes. But, uh, yeah, it felt like – I mean, to be fair, you pu- they pulled the starters with like five minutes left and had the second string out there too. But um, it doesn't help when you're going up against a team that's knocking down every three that they throw up. I think uh, George Washington had like a 45% free throw – or three-point – Percentage last night, they made a, like 12 threes. Um, a lot of those were wide open, though. That's the thing. That's the whole they thing, though. you got to close out on the perimeter. You've got to actually, those, like those Perry were, saying, yeah. They, they, they were dictated off of, you know, uh, getting into the paint to begin with, and then they moved the ball a couple times and just wide open shots. 
And the one thing we can control is defense and energy. Like we can control those things. We can't control the shot going in the basket every time. You can take good shots, but it may or may not go down. So until they get this defensive part figured out, uh, it's going to be a struggle. And the the part that just killed me was they got an offensive rebound off a free throw. Two guys, we have four guys to box out, what, I guess three if you're considering the, the shooter. So four guys to box out three. Two guys boxed. Two guys just stood and watched. The guy got the rebound, picked it out. They hit a three. I mean, that can't ever happen, ever. And it, it's just like how. <laughs> so I, I can understand the Mott's frustration, but it, and and that was when our starters were in. That wasn't, you know, that that wasn't like the end of the bench. So uh, a lot of things to clean up there. Um, and this team can be competitive. I'm not saying they're going to win a bunch of games. We've we've had this conversation before, but. They're better than what they showed last night. Are they Are they great? No, but they certainly can be much better than what they showed. Yeah, I mean, we talked preseason. This was going to struggle. Uh, you know, they, there's a ton of newcomers, a lot of which weren't super highly rated. Uh, I have been impressed with the freshmen in points. Uh, I have been impressed with Verdonk, like you said. Uh, I like Hayden Brown's effort. He usually is flying around. Um, got to stay out of foul but, trouble. That's the one thing he's got to keep his hands to himself a little more on defense. That kind of goes back to you're shaking your head there, Perry. I know, I know, I think we might've had this discussion last week, actually, but he's, he's got to stay out of foul trouble if this team didn't have any chance. Yeah. He, yeah. He, and what he's going to struggle. I mean, he, he's just not quick enough to guard. It's going to get worse come SEC play. Um, as athleticism and skills go up, it's going to, that's going to get worse. So he's going to have to have, and a lot of that again, goes back to being out of position. So, Gotta have the guards do a better job on the perimeter, so our bigs can have a better chance, and hopefully keep him so much from having to to make those extra plays there. But but you're you're right. Like you, I mean, we foul too much, we give up too many easy plays. Uh, the we can't lose the hustle plays. We we got to play almost perfectly, and that that was not even close. So. Well, and one more note on the the effort thing that that Alan brought up. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but l- late last night, Gigi Jackson tweeted, "Gamecock Nation, I apologize for our team's performance tonight." So I don't know if that's a little bit of a indication too that he's seeing some of the same uh, things. And 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 really, when you think about what success for this this team this year is, because they're not making the tournament, right? Like that was never that. And anyone that was paying attention probably sh- shouldn't have had that is remotely on their radar anyway, but um, success for this team is, yeah, you show growth throughout the year. Um, you show some fight in some games that you probably shouldn't. Um, and the only game that I feel like we've seen that thus far in is Clemson, which is a good one to do because rivalry and stuff, but uh, you're going to have to see that a little bit more. And unless you've been at home and completely overmatched the opponent, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of fight. Interested to see how they come out Saturday for Georgetown. That's a noon tip. I don't know if that's going to be a sleepy kind of atmosphere. Um, Georgetown's struggling a lot right now. That's a winnable game. Like you can, as awful as that looked last night, you win Saturday, you split the road trip. I mean, you're probably not feeling good, but you're feeling better about things. And that is a winnable game. Um, But you got to see how they come out with the energy, especially on defense. Yeah. We got to win. I mean, it would be helpful to win that. And then you got to be Presbyterian after that because I think UAB comes up after that. And uh, UAB, yeah. If, if and then it's East Carolina. Gonna, whew, if we're not, if we're not, 
playing at a different level, they're going to run us out of the gym. So we got a chance to correct a lot of stuff these next two games. Um, so let's see if it happens. Yeah, well, we'll keep you guys updated on GameCocksGroup.com uh, for all the women's basketball and men's basketball throughout the season. Um, even if it's painful, sometimes we're still going to sit there <laughs> and uh, watch it and, and try to analyze it the best that we can. Uh, one thing I will give... Uh, you know, as a concession, that was their first game outside of the state of South Carolina. Um, and it's a young team. So uh, dealing with a little bit of a road trip there, maybe. I, I mean, I know that Benjamin Bozeman's for Donk showed up eight minutes before tip because he had a an exam or whatever yesterday. So he didn't even have time to warm up and stuff. Yeah, that's um, tough on any level. Um, oh, and Daniel Hank and Sanford didn't make the trip, by the way. He had an illness. We didn't mention that. But you're talking about the freshman. Um, he was not – I don't know if he's going to get – I don't know. I assume he's not going to be there Saturday either, but he wasn't there last night. Right. So on an already thin team, when you have, you know, adversity like that, it makes it even more difficult. Um, anything else you guys wanted to cover? Any championship weekend games that you're looking forward to or going to pick an upset in or anything? Or is it going to go pretty chalky, you think? I think K-State beats TCU. I'll throw, I haven't filled the pick sheet in yet, but I'll throw that out. They had them beat the first time before their, both their quarterbacks got hurt. I think they're I don't want to say they're the better team, but they were outplaying them because they were up 18 points the first time before the injuries. So I think on a neutral field, K-State gets them, and we'll see what that means for the playoff. But that's my one. I don't really have – I think it's going to go pretty uh, pretty according to plan um, for the most part. Uh, in the one non-championship game, Akron versus Buffalo. So somehow they slipped in to play on championship weekend. Uh, so that'll be <laughs> – wasn't that the snowstorm? Wasn't there like six yeah. feet of snow in Buffalo and they had to move the yeah, okay. Yeah, but but Buffalo needs that game. That's why it got moved. Do. That's one implication about it. Buffalo needs it. And then uh but if Akron wins, you know, the they, they what was it, Vegas picked them at two and a half. So if Akron wins, they, they beat that, they they get three. So, you know, uh there's probably some actual money on that game. It's at one PM on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> it should be an electric atmosphere in Buffalo. <laughs> There's probably going to be anybody in the stands, but they're, they're playing it. So, <laughs> well, and and Utah already beat USC too Friday night. Yeah. Um, that'll be interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm probably going to pick USC. They feel like they have the momentum going and stuff. But um, what's the line there? It's like U USC minus three, something like that. And USC, I mean Utah's style of play does match up pretty well uh, against USC. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like if TCU loses. That's their only loss of the season. Do you let a two-loss Alabama jump it over them? Uh, do you let Ohio State, who didn't play a conference championship, jump into there? Um, and then, like of course, USC now. could lose as well, too. So, yeah, if both USC and TCU lose, it's going to be really interesting. I guess you put Ohio State and Alabama in, but I don't know that either of them should jump to TCU. Ohio State doesn't belong there. They got housed in their own building in their one big game this year. Like, to me, they shouldn't be there. Um, I almost think that devalues Michigan if you put Ohio State in there. Just saying that game didn't matter. Put them both in. Um, but yeah, if TC loses and you, or USC loses, I think there's a decent chance of that with Ohio State sitting at five. It, when it do also, you think? It, it also kind of goes back to the point though. Like it's it's too bad Michigan and Georgia can't just opt out of these games because they they got they're in. They, they all, this can only go badly for them. So they they lose, and then the whole thing's in court. Now, of course, I think Georgia stays in no matter what. But I'm just saying. I think they're both in. It's kind of unfortunate yeah. that they're being forced to play this game where 
it, it can really only go against them if, if they lose. So, uh, I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think they will lose, but uh, it, it, it just interesting the way that others could benefit from them having to play another game. Yeah, and I guess from a South Carolina perspective, you're watching LSU, obviously, because that's kind of the team closest tied to their bowl selection. And if Purdue somehow beat Michigan, they'd get an automatic bid to the Rose Bowl, which would probably slide everybody else down the pecking order. And that might, like, throw Minnesota in the range for South Carolina. You know, like, somehow Purdue gets in there. Seven and – what are they, eight and four? You'd have eight and – you'd have four lost Purdue in the Rose Bowl? I think so, yeah. I mean – I, I don't know. I didn't say it's going to happen. I just if you're a South Carolina fan, those are the two yeah. games that most directly impact you and your bowl yeah. selection would be Michigan, Purdue, and Georgia LSU. That would be something. So, <laughs> and then the college football playoff sounds like it's going to 12 teams in 2024, 25. Uh, I know. I kind of forgot about it till just now, and I'm just looking at the top. 12, which isn't necessarily exactly how they're going to do it. They'll probably have some conference championship tie-ins and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, some interesting matchups. You'd have Washington, 10-2, and uh, sitting at 12 right now. you got Utah sitting at 11, but presumably they might lose to USC. So then you got, like, Florida State, LSU sitting around there at 13-14. Um, Clemson's in right now. Penn State, who – didn't beat anyone decent all year. <laughs> it's sitting at eight right now. Um, I feel like that would be a team that would get exposed immediately in a playoff setting. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it's also going to be interesting, like you brought up the, the point about conference championships. Like, are they going to go uh, the way of the Dodo Bird with this um, because you're going to have a couple extra games? Um, I just don't know how you're asking kids to play. Think about it. You're talking about 12 plus a conference championship. Plus, if you don't get the buy, four playoff games if you went all the way. You're talking about a 17 game schedule for college. That's it's yeah. Insane. I mean, you're right at the pro, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's that's so much. And then there's going to be the further on you play, the less time off you get for your mm-hmm. body to kind of heal up, and you're right back in spring ball. Um, yeah, so I think that's going to be a serious point of consideration about how they handle the, the schedules from here on out. I wonder if you thing, go back to the old 11 game schedules. I doubt that happens, but I think that might be safer. I, the, the, I don't know. The other, the other domino that um, and kind of, I'll leave it at this, but uh, it, I'm curious to see how all this affects the uh, conference expansion. Cause you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are maybe some of these G five teams that are good enough to make it uh, get left out because they're not in power five. Um, you know, because it seems like there's always one G5 team that kind of comes out of nowhere each year. And um, I, I just wonder how that's going to drive this landscape as it is. I mean, we never – I don't think many people saw Southern Cal and UCLA joining the Big Big Ten and, you know, that happened. So who knows what's coming down the pipe. Uh, but I think with the way it's set up now, it'll be – I'll be interested to see, like, what the selection criteria is and then also how that drives – conference expansion as well well that's the thing is do we even have a power five anymore after conference expansion um you really just have the big 10 and the sec which going back to the conference championship point is there any point in having the top like if you're getting rid of divisions which it sounds like they are is there any point in having the top two teams play right before the playoff when presumably they're both going to make the playoff anyway um it just yeah I, i don't see it happening i mean i think you're probably going to have three or four from the SEC, three or four from the Big Ten every year, and then fill out the rest with other 
quote unquote power five schools and some G five schools. I'd be fine seeing those games go, honestly. Um, especially if that means you, if that preserves like rivalry games or more of the regular season, I'd, I'd be fine seeing conference title games go and you just jump to the, the first round, the, I guess that'd be five through 12 playing if the top four get buys. Right. I mean, cause it's a, a number of conferences you used to, you know, just have like whoever the, they, they just named the conference champion, whoever had the best record. So no, no reason they can't go back to it, but I'm sure there are others out there that would disagree with us, but in any case, it's always a talking point. All right. So just for, for argument's sake, uh, as the college football playoff rankings stand right now, um, which they'll change a bit, obviously, after this weekend. Um, these are the matchups that you'd have in the opening round. So you got Washington, number 12, versus number five, Ohio State. That's a fun game. Uh, you got Utah versus Alabama. Utah's probably getting boat raced in that one. But <laughs> um, you got Kansas State at number 10 versus Tennessee. That'd be a fun game. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> And then you got uh, Clemson at nine versus Penn State, which I also think would be a pretty fun game. Well, the other angle there, though, is from what we're hearing, the first round, the which I think it should be the other way around. I think if you finish top four, you should play at home. But the five through eight teams are going to get to host games. They're going to be campus sites, what we're hearing. So you're talking about Clemson going to Penn State for a whiteout in December? Like, that sounds fun. Like, that's different. That's not a matchup you would normally get. Like, I I get. I think it should be the other way. I think I think you, if you finish top four, you should earn a game on your own campus. Um, but either way, that sounds fun and different. Yeah. Yeah. And do you start those right after this week, or do you maybe take this? Well, week that's off the other thing because if you have Big Ten teams, if you got teams in cold weather places, asking to play home games on December twentieth, um, maybe you do want to move it up three weeks and play those games. <laughs> play those games this weekend on conference championship weekend, and then do the rest of the playoff later in December. Once you start moving into these NFL stadiums, domes, warm weather places, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would be a fan yeah. of that, that just taking the place for of conference championship week, that opening round. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we'll have plenty more at the beginning of next week. We'll, we'll get back together on Monday and talk uh, the Gamecocks bowl selection, anything relevant that comes out of Shane Beamer's press conference on Sunday. Um, you know, hopefully by that point, we'll have a little bit more to talk about with the offensive coordinator and the transfer portal opening. We probably get some live updates as we're trying to do that show on the transfer portal. It's going to be pretty wild. Um, in the meantime, check us out on gamecocksgroup.com. Like I said, I'll have a updated offensive coordinator hot board, a uh, little update later this afternoon. Uh, we got a bunch of coverage coming for the basketball games throughout the weekend. And yeah. That's about it. Thanks for joining me, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time.